0: 1. Amusements in Mathematics by Henry Ernest E In Mathematics he was greater than the or Arapater, for he, by geometric scale, could take the size of pots of ale, resolve, by signs and tangents, straight, if bread or butter wanted weight, and wisely tell what our O.T.H. Day the clock does strike by algebra. Butler's Houdibras, 1917 Preface in issuing this volume of my Mathematical Puzzles of which some had appeared in periodicals and others are given here for the first time, I must acknowledge the encouragement that I have received from many unknown correspondents, at home and abroad, who have expressed a desire to have the problems in a collected form, with some of the solutions given at greater length than is possible in magazines and newspapers, though I have included a few old puzzles that had interested the world for generations, where I felt that there was something new to be said about them, the problems are in the main original, it is true that some of these have become widely known through the press, and it is possible that the reader may be glad to know their source, on the question of mathematical puzzles in general their island perhaps, little more to be said than I have written elsewhere, the history of the subject entails nothing short of the actual story of the beginnings and development of exact thinking in man, The historian must start from the time when man first succeeded in counting his ten fingers and in dividing an apple into two approximately equal parts. Every puzzle that is worthy of consideration can be referred to mathematics and logic. Every man, woman, and child who tries to reason out the answer to the simplest puzzle is working, though not of necessity consciously, on mathematical lines. Even those puzzles that we have no way of attacking except by haphazard attempts can be brought under a method of what has been called glorified trial, a system of shortening our labors by avoiding or eliminating what our reason tells us is useless. It island in fact, not easy to say sometimes where the empirical begins and where it ends. When a man says, I have never solved a puzzle in my life, it is difficult to know exactly what he means, for every intelligent individual is doing it every day. The unfortunate inmates of our lunatic asylums are sent there expressly because they cannot solve puzzles because they have lost their powers of reason. If there were no puzzles to solve, there would be no questions to ask, and if there were no questions to be asked, what a world it would be. We should all be equally omniscient, and conversation would be useless and idle. It is possible that some few exceedingly sober-minded mathematicians, who are impatient of any terminology in their favorite science but the academic, and who object to the elusive X and Y appearing under any other names, will have wished that various problems had been presented in a less popular dress and introduced with a less flippant phraseology. I can only refer them to the first word of my title and remind them that we are primarily out to be amused not. It is true, without some hope of picking up morsels of knowledge by the way. If the manner is light, I can only say, in the words of Touchstone, that it is, an ill-favored thing, sir, but my own, a poor humor of mine, sir, as for the question of difficulty, some of the puzzles, especially in the arithmetical and algebraical category, are quite easy, yet some of those examples that look the simplest should not be passed over without a little consideration, for now and again it will be found that there is some more or less subtle pitfall or trap into which the reader may be apt to fall. It is good exercise to cultivate the habit of being very wary over the exact wording of a puzzle. It teaches exactitude and caution. But some of the problems are very hard nuts indeed, and not unworthy of the attention of the advanced mathematician. Readers will doubtless select according to their individual tastes. In many cases only the mere answers are given. This leaves the beginner something to do on his own behalf in working out the method of solution, and saves space that would be wasted from the point of view of the advanced student. On the other hand, in particular cases where it seemed likely to interest, I have given rather extensive solutions and treated problems in a general manner. It will often be found that the notes on one problem will serve to elucidate a good many others in the book, so that the reader's difficulties will sometimes be found cleared up as he advances, where it is possible to say a thing in a manner that may be understanded of the people, generally. I prefer to use this simple phraseology and so engage the attention and interest of a larger public. The mathematician will in such cases have no difficulty in expressing the matter under consideration in terms of his familiar symbols. I have taken the greatest care in reading the proofs, and trust that any errors that may have crept in are very few. If any such should occur, I can only plead, in the words of Horace, that, good Homer sometimes nods, or, as the bishop put it, not even the youngest curate in my diocese is infallible. I have to express my thanks in particular to the proprietors of The Strand Magazine, Castles Magazine, The Queen, Titbits, and The Weekly Dispatch for their courtesy in allowing me to reprint some of the puzzles that had appeared in their pages. Amusements in Mathematics, A-R-I-D-H-M-A-D-I-C-A-L and A-L-G-A-B-R-A-I-C-A-L Problems. The puzzles in this department are roughly thrown together in classes for the convenience of the reader. Some are very easy, others quite difficult but they are not arranged in any order of difficulty and this is intentional, for it is well that the solver should not be warned that a puzzle is just what it seems to be, it may, therefore, prove to be quite as simple as it looks, or it may contain some pitfall into which, through want of care or overconfidence, we may stumble, also, the arithmetical and algebraical puzzles are not separated in the manner adopted by some authors, who arbitrarily require certain problems to be solved by one method or the other, The reader is left to make his own choice and determine which puzzles are capable of being solved by him on purely arithmetical lines. Money puzzles. Put not your trust in money, but put your money in trust. Oliver Wendell Holmes. 1. A Post Office Perplexity. In every business of life we are occasionally perplexed by some chance question that for the moment staggers us. I quite pitied a young lady in a branch post office when a gentleman entered and deposited a crown on the counter with this request. Please give me some twopenny stamps, six times as many penny stamps, and make up the rest of the money in tuppence ha'penny stamps. For a moment she seemed bewildered, then her brain cleared, and with a smile she handed over stamps in exact fulfillment of the order. How long would it have taken you to think it out? 2. Youthful P.R.E.C.O.C.I.D. The precocity of some youths is surprising. One is disposed to say on occasion, that boy of yours is a genius and he is certain to do great things when he grows up, but past experience has taught us that he invariably becomes quite an ordinary citizen. It is so often the case, on the contrary, that the dull boy becomes a great man. You never can tell. Nature loves to present to us these queer paradoxes. It is well known that those wonderful, lightning calculators, who now and again surprise the world by their feats, lose all their mysterious powers directly they are taught the elementary rules of arithmetic. A boy who was demolishing a choice banana was approached by a young friend, who, regarding him with envious eyes, asked, How much did you pay for that banana, Fred? The prompt answer was quite remarkable in its way, The man what I bought it of receives just half as many sixpences for sixteen dozen dozen bananas as he gives bananas for a fiver. Now, how long will it take the reader to say correctly just how much Fred paid for his rare and refreshing fruit? 3. At a cattle market. Three countrymen met at the cattle market. Look here," said Hodge to Jake's. "I'll give you six of my pigs for one of your horses, and then you'll have twice as many animals here as I've got. If that's your way of doing business," said Durant to Hodge. "I'll give you fourteen of my sheep for a horse, and then you'll have three times as many animals as I. Well, I'll go better than that," said Jake's to Durant. "I'll give you four cows for a horse, and then you'll have six times as many animals as I've got here." No doubt this was a very primitive way of bartering animals, but it is an interesting little puzzle to discover just how many animals Jakes, Hodge, and Durant must have taken to the cattle market. For the BA and F A S D puzzle, a number of men went out together on a bean feast. There were four parties invited, namely, 25 cobblers, 20 tailors, 18 headers, and 12 glovers. They spent all together L6, 13s, It was found that 5 cobblers spent as much as 4 tailors, that 12 tailors spent as much as 9 headers, and that 6 headers spent as much as 8 glovers. The puzzle is to find out how much each of the 4 parties spent. 5. A Queer Coincidence 7 men, whose names were Adams, Baker, Carter, Dobson, Edwards, Francis, and Gudgeon, were recently engaged in play. The name of the particular game is of no consequence. They had agreed that whenever a player won a game he should double the money of each of the other players that island he was to give the players just as much money as they had already in their pockets, they played seven games, and, strange to say, each won a game in turn, in the order in which their names are given, but a more curious coincidence is this that when they had finished play each of the seven men had exactly the same amount two shillings and eight pence in his pocket. The puzzle is to find out how much money each man had with him before he sat down to play. 6. A charitable bequest. A man left instructions to his executors to distribute once a year exactly 55 shillings among the poor of his parish, but they were only to continue the gift so long as they could make it in different ways, always giving 18 pence each to a number of women and half a crown each to men. During how many years could the charity be administered? Of course. By different ways, is meant a different number of men and women every time. 7. The widow's legacy. A gentleman who recently died left the sum of L8.000 to be divided among his widow, five sons, and four daughters. He directed that every son should receive three times as much as a daughter, and that every daughter should have twice as much as their mother. What was the widow's share? 8. Indiscriminate charity. A charitable gentleman, on his way home one night, was appealed to by three needy persons in succession for assistance. To the first person he gave one penny more than half the money he had in his pocket, to the second person he gave two more than half the money he then had in his pocket, and to the third person he handed over threepence more than half of what he had left. On entering his house he had only one penny in his pocket. Now, can you say exactly how much money that gentleman had on him when he started for home? 9. The two aeropia a man recently bought two aeroplanes, but afterwards found that they would not answer the purpose for which he wanted them, so he sold them for L600 each, making a loss of 20%, on one machine and a profit of 20%, on the other, did he make a profit on the whole transaction, or a loss, and how much, 10, buying presents, whom do you think I met in town last week, brother William, said Uncle Benjamin, that old skin Flint Jorkins, his family had been taking him around buying Christmas presents. He said to me, why cannot the government abolish Christmas, and make the giving of presents punishable by law? I came out this morning with a certain amount of money in my pocket, and I find I have spent just half of it. In fact, if you will believe me, I take home just as many shillings as I had pounds, and half as many pounds as I had shillings. It is monstrous. Can you say exactly how much money Jorkins had spent on those presents? 11. The Cyclists' Feast. Twas last bank holiday. So I've been told. Some cyclists rode abroad in glorious weather, resting at noon within a tavern old. They all agreed to have a feast together. Put it all in one bill. Mine host, they said, for every man an equal share will pay. The bill was promptly on the table laid, and four pounds was the reckoning that day. But, sad to state. When they prepared to square, twas found that two hands sneaked outside and fled. So, for two shillings more than his due share each honest man who had remained was bled. They settled later with those rogues, no doubt. How many were they when they first set out? 12. A queer thing in money. It will be found that l66, 6s, 60, equals 15.918 pence. Now, the four six single quote s added together make 24, and the figures in 15.918 also add 224. It is a curious fact that there is only one other sum of money, in pounds, shillings, and pence all similarly repetitions of one figure, of which the digits shall add up the same as the digits of the amount in pence. What is the other sum of money? 13. A new money puzzle. The largest sum of money that can be written in pounds, shillings, pence, and farthings, using each of the nine digits once and only once. Is L98.765. 4S. 31 to D. Now. Try to discover the smallest sum of money that can be written down under precisely the same conditions. There must be some value given for each denomination pounds, shillings, pence, and farthings and the knot may not be used, it requires just a little judgment and thought. 14 square money, this is queer, said McCrank to his friend. Tuppence added two tuppence is fourpence. And tuppence multiplied by tuppence is also fourpence. Of course, he was wrong in thinking you can multiply money by money. The multiplier must be regarded as an abstract number. It is true that two feet multiplied by two feet will make four square feet. Similarly, two pence multiplied by two pence will produce four square pence. And it will perplex the reader to say what a square penny is. But we will assume for the purposes of our puzzle that tuppence multiplied by tuppence is fourpence. Now, What two amounts of money will produce the next smallest possible result? The same in both cases, when added or multiplied in this manner. The two amounts need not be alike, but they must be those that can be paid in current coins of the realm. 15. Pocket money. What is the largest sum of money all in current silver coins and no four shilling piece that I could have in my pocket without being able to give change for a half-sovereign? 16. The millionaire's perplexity. Mr. Morgan G. Bloomgarden. The millionaire, known in the States as the Clan King, had, for his sins, more money than he knew what to do with it bored him, so he determined to persecute some of his poor but happy friends with it. They had never done him any harm, but he resolved to inoculate them with the source of all evil. He therefore proposed to distribute a million dollars among them and watch them go rapidly to the bad, but he was a man of strange fancies and superstitions and it was an inviolable rule with him never to make a gift that was not either $1 or some power of 7 such as 7, 49, 343, 2.401, which numbers of dollars are produced by simply multiplying 7s together. Another rule of his was that he would never give more than 6 persons exactly the same sum. Now, how was he to distribute the dollars You may distribute the money among as many people as you like under the conditions given. 17. The puzzling money boxes. Four brothers named John, William, Charles, and Thomas had each a money box. The boxes were all given to them on the same day, and they at once put what money they had into them, only, as the boxes were not very large. They first changed the money into as few coins as possible. After they had done this, they told one another how much money they had saved, and it was found that if John had had to s. More in his box than at present. If William had had two s. Less. If Charles had had twice as much. And if Thomas had had half as much. They would all have had exactly the same amount. Now. When I add that all four boxes together contain 45 s. And that there were only six coins in all in them. It becomes an entertaining puzzle to discover just what coins were in each box. 18. The Market Women. A number of market women sold their various products at a certain price per pound different in every case, and each received the same amount to s. 21 to d. What is the greatest number of women there could have been? The price per pound in every case must be such as could be paid in current money. 19. The New Year's Eve suppers. The proprietor of a small London cafe has given me some interesting figures. He says that the ladies who come alone to his place for refreshments spend each on an average 18 pence that the unaccompanied men spend half a crown each, and that when a gentleman brings in a lady he spends half a guinea, on New Year's Eve he supplied suppers to twenty-five persons, and took five pounds in all. Now, assuming his average is to have held good in every case, how was his company made up on that occasion? Of course, only single gentlemen, single ladies, and pairs a lady and gentleman can be supposed to have been present, as we are not considering larger parties. Twenty beef and sausages. A neighbor of mine, said Aunt Jane, bought a certain quantity of beef at two shillings a pound, and the same quantity of sausages at eighteen pence a pound. I want out to her that if she had divided the same money equally between beef and sausages she would have gained two pounds in the total weight. Can you tell me exactly how much she spent? Of course. It is no business of mine, said Mrs. Sonny but a lady who could pay such prices must be somewhat inexperienced in domestic economy. I quite agree. My dear, Aunt Jane replied, but you see that is not the precise point under discussion, any more than the name and morals of the tradesman. 21. A deal in apples. I paid a man a shilling for some apples, but they were so small that I made him throw into extra apples. I find that made them cost just a penny a dozen less than the first price he asked. How many apples did I get for my shilling? 22. A deal in eggs. A man went recently into a dairyman's shop to buy eggs. He wanted them of various qualities. The salesman had new laid eggs at the high price of five pence each, fresh eggs at one penny each, eggs at a halfpenny each, and eggs for electioneering purposes at a greatly reduced figure. But as there was no election on at the time the buyer had no use for the last. However, He bought some of each of the three other kinds and obtained exactly 100 eggs for eight and fourpence. Now, as he brought away exactly the same number of eggs of two of the three qualities, it is an interesting puzzle to determine just how many he bought at each price. 23. The Christmas Boxes Some years ago a man told me he had spent 100 English silver coins in Christmas boxes, giving every person the same amount, and it cost him exactly L1, Tens, 1D, can you tell just how many persons received the present, and how he could have managed the distribution, that odd penny looks queer, but it is all right, 24, a shopping perplexity, two ladies went into a shop where, through some curious eccentricity, no change was given, and made purchases amounting together to a less than five shillings, do you know, said one lady, I find I shall require no fewer than six current coins of the realm to pay for what I have bought, The other lady considered a moment, and then exclaimed, by a peculiar coincidence, I am exactly in the same dilemma, then we will pay the two bills together, but, to their astonishment, they still required six coins, what is the smallest possible amount of their purchases both different, 25, Chinese money, the Chinese are a curious people, and have strange inverted ways of doing things, it is said that they use a saw with an upward pressure instead of a downward one that they plane a deal board by pulling the tool toward them instead of pushing it, and that in building a house they first construct the roof and, having raised that into position, proceed to a work downwards. In money the currency of the country consists of tails of fluctuating value. The tail became thinner and thinner until 2.000 of them piled together made less than 3 inches in height. The common cash consists of brass coins of varying thicknesses, with a round, square, or triangular hole in the center. As in our illustration, these are strung on wires like buttons. Supposing that 11 coins with round holes are worth 15 ching-changs, that 11 with square holes are worth 16 ching-changs, and that 11 with triangular holes are worth 17 ching-changs, how can a Chinaman give me change for half a crown? Using no coins other than the three mentioned, a ching-chang is worth exactly tuppence and four fifteenths of a ching-chang. 26. The Junior Clerks Puzzle. To youths bearing the pleasant names of Moggs and Snoggs, were employed as junior clerks by a merchant in Mincing Lane, they were both engaged at the same salary that island commencing at the rate of L-50 a year, payable half-yearly, Moggs had a yearly rise of L-10, and Snoggs was offered the same, only he asked, for reasons that do not concern our puzzle, that he might take his rise at L-2, 10s, half-yearly, to which his employer not, perhaps, and naturally, had no objection. Now we come to the real point of the puzzle. Moggs put regularly into the post office savings bank a certain proportion of his salary, while Snogs saved twice as great a proportion of his, and at the end of five years they had together saved L268. 15 s. How much had each saved? The question of interest can be ignored. 27. Giving change. Everyone is familiar with the difficulties that frequently arise over the giving of change and how the assistance of a third person with a few coins in his pocket will sometimes help us to set the matter right. Here is an example. An Englishman went into a shop in New York and bought goods at a cost of 34 cents. The only money he had was a dollar, a three-cent piece, and a two-cent piece. The tradesman had only a half dollar and a quarter dollar, but another customer happened to be present, and when asked to help produce two dimes, a five-cent piece, a two-cent piece, and a one-cent piece. How did the tradesman manage to give change? For the benefit of those readers who are not familiar with the American coinage, it is only necessary to say that a dollar is a hundred cents and a dime ten cents. A puzzle of this kind should rarely cause any difficulty if attacked in a proper manner. 28. Defective Observation Our observation of little things is frequently defective, and our memory is very liable to elapse. A certain judge recently remarked in a case that he had no recollection whatever of putting the wedding ring on his wife's finger. Can you correctly answer these questions without having the coins in sight? On which side of a penny is the date given? Some people are so unobservant that, although they are handling the coin nearly every day of their lives, they are at a loss to answer this simple question. If I lay a penny flat on the table, how many other pennies can I place around it? Everyone also lying flat on the table so that they all touch the first one. The geometrician will, of course, give the answer at once, and not need to make any experiment. He will also know that, since all circles are similar, the same answer will necessarily apply to any coin. The next question is a most interesting one to ask a company, each person writing down his answer on a slip of paper, so that no one shall be helped by the answers of others what is the greatest number of three penny pieces that may be laid flat on the surface of a half crown, so that no piece lies on another or overlaps the surface of the half crown? It is amazing what a variety of different answers one gets to this question. Very few people will be found to give the correct number. Of course the answer must be given without looking at the coins. 29. The broken coins. A man had three coins a sovereign, a shilling, and a penny and we found that exactly the same fraction of each coin had been broken away. Now, assuming that the original intrinsic value of these coins was the same as their nominal value that island that the sovereign was worth the pound, the shilling worth the shilling, and the penny worth the penny what proportion of each coin has been lost if the value of the three remaining fragments is exactly one pound, pound? Thirty. Two questions in probabilities. There is perhaps no class of puzzle over which people so frequently blunder as that which involves what is called the theory of probabilities. I will give two simple examples of the sort of puzzle I mean. They are really quite easy, and yet many persons are tripped up by them. A friend recently produced five pennies and said to me, in throwing these five pennies at the same time, what are the chances that at least four of the coins will turn up either all heads or all tails? His own solution was quite wrong but the correct answer ought not to be hard to discover. Another person got a wrong answer to the following little puzzle which I heard him propound. A man placed three sovereigns and one shilling in a bag. How much should be paid for permission to draw one coin from it? It island of course, understood that you are as likely to draw any one of the four coins as another. 31. Domestic Economy. Young Mrs. Parkins of Putney, writes to me as follows. I should be very glad if you could give me the answer to a little sum that has been worrying me a good deal lately. Here it is, we have only been married a short time, and now, at the end of two years from the time when we set up housekeeping, my husband tells me that he finds we have spent a third of his yearly income in rent, rates, and taxes, one half in domestic expenses, and one ninth in other ways. He has a balance of L-190 remaining in the bank, I know this last. Because he accidentally left out his passbook the other day. And I peeped into it. Don't you think that a husband ought to give his wife his entire confidence in his money matters? Well, I do, and will you believe it? He has never told me what his income really island and I want, very naturally, to find out. Can you tell me what it is from the figures I have given you? Yes, the answer can certainly be given from the figures contained in Mrs. Parkins's letter, and my readers, if not warned, will be practically unanimous in declaring the income to be something absurdly in excess of the correct answer. 32. The Excursion Ticket Puzzle. When the big flaming placards were exhibited at the little provincial railway station, announcing that the great company would run cheap excursion trains to London for the Christmas holidays, the inhabitants of Mudley conterments were in quite a flutter of excitement. Half an hour before the train came in the little booking office was crowded with country passengers. All bent on visiting their friends in the great metropolis. The booking clerk was unaccustomed to dealing with crowds of such a dimension, and he told me afterwards, while wiping his manly brow, that what caused him so much trouble was the fact that these rustics paid their fares in such a lot of small money. He said that he had enough farthings to supply a West End draper with change for a week, and a sufficient number of threepenny pieces for the congregations of three parish churches. That excursion fare, said he is 19 shillings and 9 pence, and I should like to know in just how many different ways it is possible for such an amount to be paid in the current coin of this realm, here, then, is a puzzle, in how many different ways may 19 shillings and 9 pence be paid in our current coin, remember that the 4 penny piece is not now current, 33, puzzle in reversals, most people know that if you take any sum of money in pounds, shillings, and pence, in which the number of pounds less than l12 exceeds that of the pence. Reverse it calling the pounds pence and the pence pounds. Find the difference. Then reverse and add this difference. The result is always l12. 18 s. 11 d. But if we omit the condition. Less than l12. And allow not to represent shillings or pence. 1. What is the lowest amount to which the rule will not apply? 2. What is the highest amount to which it will apply? Of course. When reversing such a sum as L14, 15S, 3D, it may be written L3, 16S, 2D, which is the same as L3, 15S, 14D. 34. The Grocer and Draper. A country, grocer and draper, had to rival assistants, who prided themselves on their rapidity in serving customers. The young man on the grocery side could weigh up to one pound parcels of sugar per minute while the drapery assistant could cut three one-yard lengths of cloth in the same time. Their employer, one slack day, set them a race, giving the grocer a barrel of sugar and telling him to weigh up 48 one-pound parcels of sugar while the draper divided a roll of 48 yards of cloth into a yard pieces. The two men were interrupted together by customers for nine minutes, but the draper was disturbed 17 times as long as the grocer. What was the result of the race? Thirty-five. J.U.D. K.I.N.S.'s cattle, Hiram B. Judkins, a cattle dealer of Texas, had five droves of animals, consisting of oxen, pigs, and sheep, with the same number of animals in each drove. One morning he sold all that he had to eight dealers. Each dealer bought the same number of animals, paying $17 for each ox, $4 for each pig, and $2 for each sheep, and Hiram received in all $301 what is the greatest number of animals he could have had, and how many would there be of each kind? 36. Buying apples. As the purchase of apples in small quantities has always presented considerable difficulties, I think it well to offer a few remarks on this subject. We all know the story of the smart boy who, on being told by the old woman that she was selling her apples at four-fourth repence, said, let me see. Four-fourth threepence, that's 34th three tuppence, Two for a penny. One for nothing I'll take one. There are similar cases of perplexity. For example, a boy.